Welcome to the Money Rules Podcast, where we tackle your personal financial matters with leading financial advisors. Your host, we do Offshore investing for retirement is a strategy that many South African investors are considering, but there's still a lot of confusion and questions surrounding it. To help us unravel the intricacies of offshore retirement investments, we have Sean Kelly, who is a wealth manager at Paragon Wealth Managers. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Timmy. It's great to be on. Before we get into the details, could you briefly explain why offshore investing is becoming such a compelling proposition for South African investors, especially when it comes to retirement planning? I think there's two primary sort of reasons for, for why, it's, why it's so compelling. The first is diversification. And if we look at the South African JSC, we see that it comprises of around 1.16 trillion US dollars, which, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not because in the greater scheme of things, we actually a drop in the ocean. The global market cap globally is 112 trillion US dollars. So the JSC only makes up around 0.44% of, of the total global investment universe. So by going offshore, you have access to 99.6 of the investment universe that sits outside South Africa. And maybe just to paint a, a clearer picture on this, if we currently look at one of the biggest or the biggest company by market cap being Apple, they have a market cap of 2.8 trillion US dollars. So that single company alone is more than double our entire JSE market cap and seven times that of South Africa's GDP. So really going offshore allows South African investors to tap into the global markets and it mitigates the risk associated with local economic factors. Which brings me into the second compelling argument of why offshore investing is so important, is your RAND hedge. So, of course, not to get too pessimistic, uh, statistically, we have to look at the facts in South Africa. You know, we had 200 days of power cuts during last year. Q2 of this year, there was an unemployment rate of 32.6%, with an expanded unemployment rate of 42%. And only 12.3% of the population are expected to pay income tax this year. So that's 7.4 million people in a population of 60 million. Well, 29 million people are expected to receive grant payments. And this layered with the African political landscape, like being grey-listed recently by the Financial Action Task Force, Lady R scandals, Pala Pala, etc., has certainly been an adverse effect on the South African rand. And again, maybe just to look at the numbers, if we look at the RAM from five years ago in October, it was trading at 1465 to the dollar at 1926 to the pound. Currently, it's trading at 1940 to the dollar and 2370 to the pound. So there's been a 32% depreciation on the dollar um, and 23% depreciation against the pound. Now, even if you extend that out to 10 years, 10 years ago in October 2013, we were trading at 10 to the dollar um, and 15.90 to the pound. So in dollar terms, Iran is depreciated by 94% and in pound terms by about 50%. So just looking at those two, diversification and Rand hedge, those two sort of are the main factors as to why it's so compelling for investors to look offshore. Sure, those rand stats are quite scary. Offshore investments are subject to certain allowances and regulations. Could you elaborate on that, especially for our listeners who may not be familiar with these restrictions? Yeah, absolutely. So I think firstly to note is that, you know, exchange control restrictions in South Africa is not a new thing. These actually date back to 1939. 
But basically what it means is that South African citizens have two primary ways of getting their money overseas or offshore. The first is through a single discretionary allowance of up to 1 million rand per calendar year. So what that means is that each year from 1 January to 31 December, South African citizens over the age of 18 are able to move funds overseas with no documentation required. It's a very simple process, but it should be noted that part of that allowance is offshore travel and foreign payments. So if you do go overseas on an offshore holiday and you use your South African credit card, that will dip into that million rand discretionary allowance. The second allowance is up to 10 million rand allowance, which is called an approval for international transfer application. And there's been a lot of talk around this because it has recently replaced a foreign investment allowance. Basically, more stringent disclosures are required to get this allowance. But essentially, it gives you a 10 million rand allowance to move money offshore. So in total, individuals are allowed to move up to 11 million rand each year overseas. But again, just going back to the RAND, if we look at April 2015, someone using their discretionary allowance could buy, a million RAND discretionary allowance could buy $83,000. Over the last eight years, they can now buy $51,000. So there's been a 61% depreciation um, over since that time. So a lot of investors are asking, when will SARS increase their discretionary investment allowance? Those are the two direct ways to get your money overseas. I think just also bringing it back in the context of local, what you can do locally with your retirement savings, is that you can have up to 45% of your pre-retirement savings, whether it be in your RA, pension fund and provident fund, in offshore allocations. Sean, can you tell us about the various types of offshore plans available and some of the benefits they offer, such as saving for retirement? Absolutely. So, of course, there's a few options, uh, you know, sort of ranging from very vanilla to more complex structures like trusts and pension plans. But we typically focus on four main offshore structures or plans. The first is a direct unit trust investment. And essentially what this means is you take your money from South Africa, convert it into pounds, dollars, euros, whatever your preference is, and you send it to a fund manager that is domiciled overseas. So, for example, Fundsmith, who are, uh, who's run by Terry Smith, a very well-known fund manager, they domiciled in the UK and they manage about £24 billion. You can essentially invest into that fund directly. The benefit of this is that you would bypass the need to actually have a platform involved. So you'd be saving on a platform cost and potentially even a financial advisor fee. The second sort of option is a custodian account, and this is similar to an investment portfolio locally. The main benefit about with a custodian account is that you're able to hold multiple investment securities. So not just looking at one fund, you can own multiple global funds, shares, bonds, etc. And this all can be roofed under, uh, housed under one roof. Um, typically, these are located in tax neutral jurisdictions, such as the Isle of Man and Guernsey. So they do offer some tax benefits. And they're also relatively cheap. If you're looking at your platform fee or custodian fee, it's starting at about 0.15%, ranging up to about 0.2%. By comparison to local platforms, they typically start at 0.5% XVAT. So you're looking at 0.57% locally versus 0.2% offshore. And that slight margin difference of call it 0.4% can add up and accumulate over the years. And then thirdly, there is also international endowments. These are also very 
popular products and that they are powerful from an estate planning perspective because you can nominate your beneficiaries. Although the proceeds do form part of your estate duty calculation, the fact that you can nominate beneficiaries does help from an estate planning perspective. Additionally, endowment plans are taxed at a flat rate of 12%. So any restructuring or rebalancing or buying or selling in that plan will be taxed at 12%. And then moving down the list to a more complicated structure, such as international pensions and trusts, these are typically governed by foreign pension legislations. And again, you can nominate your beneficiaries and they do fall outside your estate. But it should be noted that these are quite aggressive forms of tax planning. Just staying on the offshore pension plans, can you explain how they are managed and how they differ from local offerings? The local offerings are relatively restrictive. Of course, there's a new two-part retirement system scheduled to take place next year. But as it currently stands, you can only access your retirement fund at age 55. At that stage, you'll be able to obviously make a one-sort withdrawal. You can take one-third as a withdrawal and the first 500000 will be tax-free. And the two-thirds then will go into a living annuity. Or you can opt to buy a life annuity, which will pay a guaranteed income. By comparison, the offshore international pension plan gives you full accessibility to your funds from age 50. So there's no need to go one-third, two-thirds. You can access the full amount. You can also take drawdown as and when you want. And you can make adult contributions during this time uh, intermittently. You're also not regulated by any uh, limit on your asset allocation. So you can have 100% equity exposure. And of course, that can benefit you in the long run. Let's talk about the allocation of retirement savings to offshore assets. What factors should individuals consider when deciding how much of the retirement savings should be based offshore? It's a tricky question because not once you fits all, each individual is unique. But I think the fundamental starting point is looking at your financial plan holistically. So things such as investment goals, risk appetite, and very importantly, the time horizon before you need to access those funds are important. But one thing we do with our clients is go through the balance sheet in depth. And surprisingly, you, you might not realize how much capitalization or overcapitalization people have in South Africa. So not just looking at their financial assets, but things like their cars, their homes, their companies, etc. They may realize that they're overcapitalized in a higher sort of risk jurisdiction and they need to tilt the scales out. So what we typically do is we recommend that their risky assets or funds, funds that they can put away for five to seven years plus, invest in offshore markets. And this gives them a buffer because layered on top of underlying market movement is the RAND fluctuation. So by giving a five to seven year plus allocation of your offshore investment, you can navigate the the volatility. Moving on to the tax implications of offshore plans, how do they differ from local plans such as retirement savings in terms of tax treatment? Yeah, so I think firstly to point out is that direct offshore investments have no tax benefits or deductions. It's all post-tax money, whereas locally pre-retirement contributions have deductions and benefits. So if you're saving for a pension or into an RA, you can save up to 27.5% of your taxable income, or you can get it back. And that's obviously limited to a maximum of 355000 that will be deducted from your taxable income. So practically, if you earn a million rand and you put 275000 in towards retirement savings, you'd only be taxed on 725000 
But on the other side of the coin, when it comes to the offshore tax, uh, to the offshore contributions, there are no deductions. The main benefit for the offshore is that you have already paid your tax and the only tax applicable would typically be capital gains tax. Of course, it depends on the nature of how you take that drawdown when you do start taking benefit from your offshore pension. If you take it in lumpy amounts, such as like once a year or every three months and then it's six months afterwards, it would be seen as capital. But if you're taking it regularly, of course, it would be seen as income and you'd be taxed accordingly to your, your individual tax rate. Sure. And do these offshore plans offer protection against personal creditors? So again, it depends on the offshore structure and whether it falls inside your estate. Typically, your custodian accounts and direct unit trust investments are in your own name and therefore do form part of your estate, offering you not much protection. But when you look at the the more complicated structures like an international pension plan and offshore trust, these do fall outside your estate and they do offer some level of protection. As mentioned, though, this is quite aggressive estate planning tools. And how can listeners interested in these products access them? So engaging with reputable financial advisors like Paragon Wealth Managers, you know, that, that's always a good step. They'll help you guide, guide investors through the intricacies of offshore planning. It's important to not only have a clearer understanding of the tax implications, estate planning, etc., but also an understanding of what you invested into offshore and accessing these products does require professional knowledge. So I'd always recommend going with a reputable financial advisor. Sean, we know a lot of people think offshore investing is mostly for high net worth individuals. What are the minimum investment amounts for these plans? And are there any other costs investors need to be mindful of? Yeah, and it's it's a good point. I think there are obviously some minimums, but it also really depends on the structure and the platform. For example, going directly to a unit trust or a fund domiciled in Mauritius in the UK have minimums starting as low as as $4,500, which is around 85,000 rand. And the cost of that would simply be the TR of that fund. Again, you would be saving on the platform cost. Custodian accounts are a bit more expensive. They typically have minimums between 200 to 300 pounds per annum, which is around five to 10,000 rand, or 1.5% of the net asset value. Global endowments are also a bit more pricey. They they typically have minimums of around $30,000, which is around 600,000 rand. And they also charge a platform fee or endowment fee of 0.5%. And then as you move down the list to the more, I suppose, complicated structures like international pension plans, they typically start around £750 a year to £1,300 a year, which is between 17000 to 30000 rand uh, a year. But I suppose the counter argument there is if you do have a structure like that is you might be saving on the estate planning or the estate duty. So... Those are the direct offshore sort of costs, but it should be noted that there are easier ways to get offshore exposure through local institutes. So, for example, uh, Easy Equities, you can start an account through Easy Equities for as little as 100 Rand, and you can invest in offshore domicile funds and asset classes. Sean, for our listeners who are really interested in this plan, do you perhaps have figures on how offshore retirement plans have fared compared to local retirement funds? I think it's all down to what you have been invested in because no plan is always the exact same. So it depends on what the underlying investments have been done. For example, have you been in global equities? Have you been in bonds? Have you been in cash, et cetera? 
One thing I can share with you is how the offshore markets have compared to the South African markets. And if we look at the S&P 500, which is our U.S. market, in RAND terms, it has done an annualized return of 16.92% over the last 10 years. By comparison, the JSC has done 4.96% over the last 10 years. So the offshore markets, or the U.S. market anyway, has outperformed the JSC market by close to 12% year on year for the last 10 years. And that should give you a good indication of how the offshore market performs comparatively. Sean, just as we wrap up, are there any other aspects we haven't covered that investors need to be aware of? I think as always, it's just consider your holistic financial plan and your entire balance sheet. Importantly, look at your estate planning, your last will and testament, both locally and globally. All of these things are of massive considerations when looking at offshore investments. Liquidity and currency risk, as well as political stability of the chosen investment jurisdiction, must be considered as well. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Sean. Thank you, Timmy. That was Sean Kelly, who is a wealth manager at Paragon Wealth Managers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Money Rules Podcast. To listen to more, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Money Rules. MoneyWeb. Money. Your trusted source for business and investment insights.